We are overconnected and overworked. We suffer from social and technology overload. We rarely experience the joy of solitude or the respite of nature. We are always on. We never turn off. That's why we started the Getaway Podcast. I'm John Staff. And I'm Pete Davis. Today we're joined by Jess Davis, no relation. Jess is the founder of Folk Rebellion, a movement where she promotes mindful use of technology and building a healthier future for all. Sounds like a good mission. Thank you, Jess. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the podcast. The first thing we do on the show is we take our cell phones out and we lock them in the getaway cell phone lockbox. Okay. Which we don't know where it is. Let's put it in here. Oh, Jess has already locked her phone away. I have. (laughs) And and it's on airplane mode. Amazing. Pete and I have deposited our devices. We're now ready to be fully present. So tell us. What is Folk Rebellion? So it's a movement and mission around the concept of living well and free with technology. So not vilifying technology and being anti and a Luddite that lives in the woods and has no connection to the real world, but really tries to teach people and empower them that there's a better way that we can be operating with our technology um, through self-regulation, finding freedom in nature, reconnecting to People face-to-face, ourselves, and the world around us. So that's what rebellion is. You are (laughs) rebelling. Against the current status quo. What is that current status quo? That it's acceptable to talk to somebody with your phone out and scroll and go, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, and not really listen and be present. That it's acceptable to have a meal while there's emails happening at the dinner table. That it's acceptable for my boss to send me a text message at one o'clock in the morning about something while I'm sleeping. Um, That is currently how this technology is being used. And I don't think we thought that when the stuff was being created about the negative effects that it would have on our lives and on our homes and on our businesses. And so uh, just because it is how it is now doesn't mean it's how it has to be. And you're doing a bunch of stuff in the world to enact that vision. So what are some of those things? Yeah. So uh, we originally started out as this sort of lifestyle that people would wear like a badge of honor. Um, We came up with these cute sayings and t-shirts like let's wander where the Wi-Fi is weak to get people around the concept. (laughs) Let's hear that again. Let's wander where the Wi-Fi is weak. Amazing. Did you sing that one at camp? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good camp song. I have a camp song. You do? I do. Should I sing it now or we'll save it for later? Let's have it at the end. Okay. But don't let us forget. All right. Um, and so it kind of took on a life of its own. I realized that people were looking for permission or an excuse to say like, this is not sustainable. And, um, it, next thing I knew I was meeting with urban outfitters and free people and Barney's talking about what the trend of the season is and designing a capsule collection for t-shirts, which I really don't give a shit about fashion or what the trend of the season is. Same. Right? Like I'm a, I'm a jeans and t-shirt girl. I wear the same thing every day. So I kind of got a little off track. My mission was to educate and empower people. And though they liked the t-shirts and it was lucrative, it was not the best way for me to go about what I wanted to do. So I scrapped that all, um, even though people said I was crazy and did what I originally had wanted to do, which is create help people create boundaries and rituals in their life. And the way that we do that is we're like a slow media company. So I believe in content and storytelling and the power of it. Um, but we've been in this sort of high fructose 
corn syrup mess of media now for I don't know how long. And so I developed an analog alternative for the screened in generation and I'm trying to help them fall back in love with the tactile and tangible. So that's our newspaper that we put out once a month. It's 80 pages long, all around the concepts of living free um, in the world through rebellion and through better balance and boundaries. And it's designed purposefully to take you an entire month to read it. And it costs $20 because I'm helping people understand that good quality content should be paid for and you can vote with your dollars that way and um, it's been really amazing to see the response to something like this when everyone's telling you that print is dead and I think the way it's dead is how we knew it like the Us Weekly is filled with garbage you know clickbait but when you take the time to create something long form and thoughtful that really educates people and then you get it into their home and they create these mini rituals around it on a Sunday morning unplugged with uh, music playing and they're rediscovering what it's like to just be for a little while and be intentional with their time. And so it's worked out really well. Does Us Weekly sponsor the show? <laughs> I hope not. Cut that dig against Sorry, Us Weekly. Us Weekly. <laughs> I just love it though. A print edition, I think they're all going to come back. We're yeah. all going to want print editions yeah. again. Because you end up, they're really, you know, we recommend, we've recommended to our our listeners and our members in the getaway world, um, you know, subscribe to your favorite newspaper as a print edition because you'll actually end up reading the articles and the best articles are on like A24. Right. You Unexpected. Know, it's not the headlines, you know, we, you know, the internet's pretty good at giving you the, the big giant number one story and everyone knows about that. But, you know, the magic of finding a, beautiful story in your town and your local yeah the unexpected and also what happens so one of the things I discovered and this all started because I experienced a severe unwellness from overuse of technology and so I knew I had to counterbalance it and I went and I did these sort of experiments to try and figure out what was going to bring my brain back to feeling healthy again and one of the things was reintroducing you know the, a physical media and um what you do is the more that you read on paper and turn the page you are able to have this and thought or process the information that you were able to read on the previous page and think a little bit forward and when you're reading on a screen you don't have that ability so it's not what you're consuming but how you're consuming it so if you're consuming via the internet mostly or only you're getting this sort of internet riddled goldfish brain that we've heard about. But the good news is, is you can fix that through a subscription to a newspaper or magazine or things like that. I also love what you said about taking a month to read it, giving that permission because yeah. you know, we get the New Yorker at home and they just keep coming. And I feel <laughs> like, I feel, I feel bad about John it. John has the tower of yeah, New I get Yorkers. through like, I get through like what ballet is happening in the city. And then I get <laughs> five more. And you have the guilt cause it's just yeah, sitting there. Yeah, you get there. guilt, which I think is like internet guilt yes. of like, you have to get through everything quickly. Yeah. Um, so I like the idea of taking a month to read it. It should take a, a month. And uh, it's designed where we have a lot. One of our core values is face-to-face -face connection. And so instead of having glorious advertisements in the center spread or a big giant cover story, we actually have a game board in there each time. So you are instructed to find a human and sit across from them and play this game that is different every month. Um, we have a snail mail section where we literally write how to write a letter tear this out <laughs> an envelope this is what it looks like it's a, a retraining for people that have done it before and an introduction for people who never have i shouldn't share this but i will uh we had an intern our first intern ever uh i asked to mail a letter and and 
I feel I feel bad in retrospect because it never occurred to me to offer how to, to teach him how to mail a letter. Yeah. And I found the letter three days later on the floor of the <laughs> office upside down with a stamp in the middle of the envelope. No. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> One of the funny things is the people that are creating things like Folk Rebellion and like Getaway are our age. It's not the nostalgic 70-somethings. The nostalgic 70-somethings are getting on Facebook and finally trying to like catch up thinking that, you know, they've given up on the hope, whereas people in their 20s and 30s are are saying we want to build this alternative and we don't sound like get off my lawn back in my day. So <laughs> nostalgic have, dinosaurs. Yeah, we have more credibility in bringing back these, right. you know, good old practices. That was one of my biggest learnings when I created this. I thought my audience was going to be much younger and they were going to be the ones that were really super ready for this, like, you know, millennials, early 20s, something like that. But what it ended up being was people that the, the prime age was like 32, 28 to 32. And that was because my big insight was they remember life before. Yeah. They had an experience beforehand, whether that was they worked in an office with a fax machine and it didn't go home with them at night and they had their evenings to themselves. Or they had a, a childhood that was mostly outside riding bikes and their parents didn't know where they were. And now they're lacking that feeling or they're missing it and they are a bit nostalgic about it, but also they're thinking about their future or future generations or what's that gonna be like. And that's how this started for me. Um, I became 100% addicted to my technology, but also addicted to busyness and hustle culture and um, uh, success, if you will. And uh, I was able to realize that. But the big scary thing was I have a son who's now seven, but at the time uh, he was two and a half. And I was like, holy shit. Like if I had a whole, I grew up in the Adirondack Mountains. Like I am a woodsy, outdoorsy girl. And I have forsaken all of these things like playing music and drawing and photography. His, it's all been cannibalized by these digital mediums. I can't imagine what it's going to be like for my son if he doesn't even have an opportunity to fall in love with those things. And so it was kind of like the trifecta of I know what the internet does to you if without balance and boundaries. And I know what life was like before and there's got to be a better way. So let's talk about you because this comes from somewhere really personal. Do you mind sharing your story about, you know, one, how you got addicted to technology, how you realized that, and then yeah. and then the early days yes. following that realization. Yeah, so it was about five years ago. Um, well, actually, dating back now, seven years ago, I started to feel really unwell. I was a digital brand strategist here in New York City for... That'll do it for you. Yeah, right? <laughs> I accidentally fell into that career. I was a writer and a photographer and a storyteller, and I wanted to write a book. And I also wanted to be an artist. Well, I realized very quickly that I was better at getting people to the exhibitions of the artists than actually the artwork. And living in New York City is a little expensive. So I very easily transi transitioned into a marketing career. Um, at the same time, the internet was starting to become a thing. The C-suite didn't really understand what this was. Uh, it was called Viral Networking 101. I was teaching classes at like local colleges and I never thought this is what I was gonna do with my life. Um, because of the timing, my ability to speak to the C-suite and explain to them what this was that was coming and why they needed to put ad dollars behind it, I had a lot of success and um, won some awards and worked with some amazing clients, but those 
skill sets and that experience that was enjoyable and fun and wild, um, I didn't realize was actually burning me out and making me sick. So I started to go and see neurologists here in the city because I my memory was all but gone. And I used to joke that I couldn't tell you what I had for breakfast because my brains were scrambled eggs. And you make jokes like that, but it's really actually quite terrifying. Some studies show that more millennials have senior moments than seniors themselves. Yeah, they've named it digital dementia now, and they, they didn't have a word back then. Um, and so there was that, my inability to focus. It was my job to go to like Target and present to like the higher ups, this big giant marketing plan. And I couldn't grasp a word off the cuff. Like if I wanted to say the word coat, it, it just, I couldn't get it into my brain. And so, um, this feeling of disassociation, unwellness, malaise. And I went and saw Eastern medicine, Western medicine, the best neurologist I could find, and no one could find anything wrong with me. They gave me the excuses that it was uh, lack of nutrients, vitamin D deficiency, gluten intolerance, you name it. Whatever they suggested, I did, and it didn't come back. And what happened was I went to Hawaii to visit my sister, and there was a family-imposed intervention or digital detox that I didn't realize was going to be the major shift in my life. When I got in the airport, my husband at the time uh, looked at me, and he's like, yeah, I had my phone out, and I was texting my clients. Just landed. Sorry, there was no Wi-Fi on the plane. Like, my worst nightmare. Yeah, tell us more about the addiction, because if it's alcohol, there are, you know, it could be Jack Daniels or it could yeah. be Gimlets. Yeah, what was, I, did, what was I didn't your know. I didn't know that it was an addiction. It was, for me, mostly it was email. Um, I had 15 different clients all communicating with me. It, you know, we use email like text messages and text messages in replace of conversation. So it's just this micro bits of content coming 24 seven. And I was just refreshing and re-communicating one line sentences back and forth with all these different clients. Um, it wasn't really social media. I mean, it was my job to check social media and communicate with them, but it was really just that access of work, you know? The email is the center of the story. And then when there's not a new email, I then go to the Huffington Post or I go to Twitter to get a new e- quote unquote new email, which is a news story of or some breaking opinion or something. Yeah, we and become And it's addicted. all experienced as like, I want, I just want a new piece of information that I have to have a response because to. Because you're getting a boost of dopamine. Like that's the, what you're getting every time you get an email is the same feeling you get when you pull a slot machine in Vegas. And these things, these biological triggers that we're having, um, they are addiction forming. So I often say like, the more you use it, the more you use it. Well, that's because you go from a heavy, a user to a heavy user, which then turns into, I have these poor like couples coming to me and they're like, I I don't know why I I can't stop. Literally, they don't know why they can't stop. I don't know why I can't get off Reddit. I don't know why I keep going to Facebook. Well, the answer is, is you've been programmed to do that. And now you desire that. And you haven't been told that this is the new socially acceptable smoking that in 20 years, we're going to find out is really harmful for us, which I experienced firsthand. And tell us more about your family. Was it really an intervention? Well, I that sounds it, crazy dramatic. It well, it is. Did crazy. they like trap you in a room? Was there? No, I'll tell you the conversation. On the door? No, so I we landed in Oahu, and Glenn had organized us to get the purple lays at the airport. It was my first time there. Uh, my son, he was in a stroller. And I have, there's a photo of me and I'm leaning down. I've got the purple lay. They're taking a photo and on the stroller is my hand with my phone 
out and you could see the screen lit up because I literally just stopped to take the photo really quick and I was texting them just landed and I instantly heard back from this one client who was very needy and I just started communicating with her and uh, Glenn looked at me and he's like yeah no I'm not doing this for the next two weeks and I was like huh He's in, of course, head down, huh? What? He's like, uh, people wait their whole lives to come to Hawaii on this glorious vacation that we're so lucky to get to do, and you fucking suck. And I was like, look up. And I was like, okay. And he goes, so you're going to give me all your devices. And that was it. And I go, yeah, okay. And excuse my language. And I was like, you can go fuck yourself. And he's like, this is your husband? Uh, now ex husband, but yeah. we're good friends. <laughs> We're still very good friends. Hi, Glenn. Sounded, um, sounded healthy to me. <laughs> Glenn, if you want to come on a getaway. Uh, yeah, exactly. Glenn, Glenn, Glenn changed your life uh, in yeah, that moment. Yeah, yeah, he did. He really and did. Not um, to give him credit. You've obviously done a ton, no, but that, uh, what, was a, that was a wake-up call. What happened in the detox? How'd you feel? Well, I burst into tears once okay. I realized he was serious. Walk us through the process. Uh, okay, day one. So I Walk us through the process of crying. I was in the airport. I burst into tears because you go through all that shit of like guilt and, you know, I didn't want to give this up. Really, that was anger, all of it. And so finally I stepped aside and I put on my out of office. The poor girl who I left in charge while I was air quotes, you can't see me, but I'm air quoting on vacation, who I never let actually do her job because I did it all and intervened every step of the way called her and I was like, you're actually going to get to do your job this week. And then let my clients know that if they needed to get a hold of me, they could contact Glenn. And I gave his number out and he took everything. But specifically, my drug of choice was my laptop. So I would still tell myself I wasn't on my phone that much because I was on my laptop. But the hours that I mean, the laptop was in bed with me till two o'clock in the morning. So uh, the first couple of days, it was a lot of anxiety. Um, of what's happening, who needs me. Mostly, I didn't know what the hell to do with my time. I mean, you're in Hawaii, there's lots to do, but I just, I felt very anxious. Um, even with like my child and playing on the beach, it's that itch of like, you're so used to something bothering you or stimulating you or distracting you. And I, it was it was an uncontrollable form of anxiety. And then what happened, we went to the island of Kona afterwards. Uh, Glenn had, has an aunt who has a house there. And it was the eighth day, which is always so significant to me because the average American vacation is like, what, how long? Like three to five days, right? Um, It was the eighth day and I woke up and it was like someone literally just flipped a switch on my brain and my body. And I felt like I was 18 again. The alertness, the energy, I could tell you what the salt smelled like in the air from the ocean. I could tell you what the sheets felt like under my skin. I brought my journal. I already told you I was a creative writer, but I hadn't done any writing. I can't tell you how long. I picked up my journal. I just started writing out on the lanai. It was just insane. And what I kept writing was, what is different? What is different? What is different? And I wrote, you already know the answer. The only thing different than your view is your lack of technology and always being on. And so I came back to New York and, you know, thankfully because of my network and what I did for a career, I had scientists and futurists and uh, doctors who were studying these different sorts of things. And I said, I think I scrambled my brain. And they're like, we don't call it that. We don't actually have a name for it, which now is digital dementia. And um, the good news is, is you're aware and you can, the brain is very powerful and you can start to heal yourself and then protect yourself. And I went down the rabbit hole of studying this stuff and trying to figure out what it was doing and what I could do about it. So that's what happened. 
still addicted no, still I, an addict like i this is very moving for me really no i used to be i used to like create things <laughs> and i stopped like in the last three years it stopped really because and i think it's and it's being replaced with twitter and like of course like nothingness yes like who cares if you know this news that you're not like it's important to know news if you're gonna act on it but <laughs> if you're not gonna act you know if it's yeah. not at a time when you can act on it and it just fills up everything it's it awful. does and it also it triggers you i mean the, let's yeah. be honest the news isn't great nowadays yeah. it's all done in a form of outrage to get more clicks and more yeah. shares no, um, i never feel happy it's like no. i don't feel happy no and yeah. a lot and a lot of it well either i've been meaning <laughs> to tell you no but i think you're right it's you know this worse. is a re- this is a rebellion yeah I think it's a good word you've chosen. Thank you. It was very strategic <laughs> on my part, so thank you. And and so you've told us about what you do now, but how do you do it? Meaning, how? what is your life like? Are you living your values? To what extent? Is oh, that yeah. easy? Is it difficult? Oh, it's very hard. Every day is really hard. And I'm a business owner. And I'm a business owner that five years ago, everyone thought I was crazy. But now it's a part of the zeitgeist. And people are like, oh, wait, digital detox, digital well-being, unplugging. It's so awesome to see that this is starting to come to the forefront and that there's people like you guys that are, are doing these things to help people like reconnect with themselves. Um, so it's busy, which is a good thing. But um, so the, one of the first things I did is I knew that if I looked at my day, I spent the majority of it on technology. So working hours technically in an office was always done with a computer. And then I would get on the subway and I would look on my phone and then I would get home and I would watch TV or get back on my computer or consume information via my phone. So I wanted to chop that up. Um, Creating, I'm a creative and I have memory problems now. So one of the first things I did is I stopped taking notes on my computer and I do everything by hand again. And then I transcribe that or I have a person, an assistant or someone transcribe it for me because I just need to really get things in my brain and let them stay there. And so now there's all these studies that support this feeling that I had five years ago that if I write things by hand, I'll remember it more. And at Harvard, they just did an experiment. Kids that took notes via typing or recording versus ones who hand wrote this. And we know this, like you know these things, but these tools, which were meant to be tools, are now replacing and not to the benefit of us. Um, So I, I started to write by hand again and introducing just that piece of analog started to make such a shift in my life. And so I looked at other ways that I could reintroduce the 3D. Um, And in fun ways, it was an excuse to go shopping for an alarm clock, like give less power to my phone. If I have an alarm clock, then I don't need my phone next to my bed. If I wear a watch, I don't have to touch it to look at what time it is. I have a paper calendar and planner, which you guys heard about my debacle because I have an assistant who's now trying to do a digital calendar and even today got messed up. So I really like to own those things. and then an excuse to buy a camera again and buy a record player and, you know, go every time I travel now, I go to a local record store. And so I'm creating these sort of, uh, you know, um, traditions or rituals around the physical world. I think the reason people type instead of write is because it's quicker. But in all these studies of how we learn things, it's actually when we learn things, we're not taking in the ideas. We're responding actively and creating our own response to the ideas that we're being taught. And so actually the slowness of writing is the feature, not the bug. That's right. You know? That's so, right. So 
you know, it's like every, you know, it's not just for creatives. It's anyone who wants to learn things. You have to create something in your head in response to what you're being taught. And you can't do that if all you're doing is just transcribing what someone else is saying. 100%. There's an article I always reference. It's um, New York Times from like six years ago. It's titled, What's Lost as Handwriting Fades? And they really looked at what ha- what is happening to people's brains by not writing anymore. And now, thankfully, schools are starting to catch up to that. But this all sounds great, but it is truly rebellious. Most people are not doing what you're doing. And but you live in a world where we all interact with other people all the time and you're not responding to their emails. <laughs> you're showing up late to appointments <laughs> occasionally. So are you are you being judged? Are people angry or there? It's so funny react? you asked this because it was also a question asked the other day someplace else um, about the guilt that I feel or the the way people react to me. So. I'm not going to lie. It wasn't easy in the beginning. So I decided to what boundaries I wanted. Number one is my productivity. I'm, I'm a good worker. I'm good at these things. But I was starting to not work to the level or capability that I knew I was, um, that I used to. And it was because I was being distracted all day long by an email inbox and responding to what other people wanted of me versus being proactive in what was best for my business or my career or whatnot. So um, I decided that I was only going to check my emails at certain times. I'm a big fan of Tim Ferriss. And, you know, he has his setup for a very extreme time. And it took me a while to figure out what mine was. So I do my most important thing in the morning for the first two hours before I even open my inbox. Because what a lot of people do is they open their inbox and they look at it or they're opening emails as they come in. What do you do with them? You just leave them there. So it tick- I get angry. You get, exactly. So it stresses <laughs> you the hell every out. Every single email I've ever received, I go, fuck that person. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we all <laughs> and do. I, and then I go, oh, wait a minute. Right. And so then it sits there. Very negative reaction. And then you get that, that thing that happens when you put something off and you know it's there and then you open another five more and then there's five more things that require your attention and you still haven't thought about what you want to do with your day or what's going to be best for you. So um, it took me a while. I now check email at 10 a.m., at 12 p.m., at 2, and at 4. And then I maybe check it in the evening once in a while. And so the way that I always say this is once you decide what boundaries work for you, and you might have to shift them. Like I'll go into like a corporation that wants me to come in and help their team. They may say we have to check it every half hour. That's fine. But in the 30 minutes in between, you're allowing your employees time to step away from their inbox or giving them that permission that they need to go and make something or work on something that's a truly task that needs their attention. Um, But you have to shout it from the rooftops. The best defense is a good offense. So it's in my email signature. Um, You ironically put it on social media that like you're not going to be responding in real time, that you're batching your emails, you're batching your phone calls. And people were mad. They were mad. I'm not going to lie. They like were what mad. Did, did people uh, confront they, uh, you? Yeah. They're did like, you have oh, a rumble? Must, they threw eggs at your house. Must be, <laughs> must be nice to be so privileged yeah, that yeah, you yeah. could do this. And like, okay, yeah. But like I worked my way to this point and I'm currently, you know, the boss. Um, but I also still had clients at the time. And so I figured out it's a lot in the messaging. Uh, I say to them, I try to focus and give your project 100% of my attention. So let me go and do what you're paying me to do. Um, and I will come back to the inbox and get back to you within whatever time frame you decide. For me, it's 24 to 48 hours. Really hard for a client to say, 
oh, well, wait, no, I want instant access to you and I want you to become distracted and therefore do a crappier job on this project I've hired you for. So when you say things like that or, you know, these young people will come up to me and they're like, I'm exhausted and I think I need to leave my my company because I can't keep up. And it, there's just such a high turnover rate. And this is why permalance and freelance has become such a thing because people are trying to own their time because they can't keep up. So if you go to your boss and I say to them, you know, listen, I'm feeling this way. I've read that there's better solutions and I'd like to test this for seven days. Let's come together at the end, see how we all feel about my work, how I feel about my health, how you feel about access to me. Let's readjust and see if we can do things more. And so it start, yeah, it started with me, but I'm only one person and this is not sustainable for anyone business-wise or not or families. And you go and you empower other people to have these hard conversations. And by showing that the world didn't set on fire, that my business didn't crumble and in actuality it got better and my relationships got better, they go and in their micro communities start to make changes. But it took a good nine months for people to stop, you know, looking down their nose at me. Some things are hard trade-offs, but what's great about this is it's not a hard trade-off because you actually just do just as well when you do it in less time. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I want to pick up on the privilege point and the, like, you know, there's many people in our lives and you have a team and we have a team and they help us with a lot of stuff, but not everybody has a team or an assistant that can help, help them out. So what have you discovered that works for other people? be they your team members or your friends or people that ask you for your advice yeah. that don't have, you know, folks Support to lean system. on. Um, so you, you find those people. So there's a lot of solopreneurs who are just starting out that have a concept or an idea and they are in the grind of everybody is a platform now and they need to be on Instagram and they need to have a website and they need to create content 24 seven. It's really about, first of all, streamlining. You don't have to be everything to everyone and everywhere. And I think that's something we're really going to start seeing a shift in with media companies and influencers and things like that. Yes, this stuff is good, but it's good when it's it's not the pancake effect where you're doing everything kind of shittily. Like pick a couple things and do them really well. Um, magazines like The Atlantic are killing it because they have this deep long form content that's really well researched. The the Buzzfeeds of the world and elite dailies and um, influencers that are so oversaturated working with 8,000 brands, they're starting to struggle and you can see that. So it's really being a little bit more selective and deciding what's going to work for you, you know, and, and your business and then finding those people around you to support you. So you may say you have no money. Um, you may not be able to teach someone something. So it's not an intern, but there might be someone who feels really passionately about what you, what you're trying to do or what you want to do that can come on board. Um, I do think most people want to learn something. Everyone has something to teach and everyone has something to learn. And so uh, using the internet for good and finding those like-minded people and having them help you out and you help them out. Um, There are, there are ways around it. You have to, you, you can't, be the only point person. You need the support system. And I'm very lucky to have that. Uh, before, we're going to have to close soon, but before, we, and, you know, take our cell phones back out of yeah. the cell phone lockbox, or maybe we'll just leave them in there, John. Um, but we are really interested in spreading this message, but then moving to concrete tips. You know, what's the first thing? Yep. You know, someone's listening to this, they want to end the podcast. Instead, going to the next one and filling another micro moment. Yep. Um, 
they want to go and make a change in their life, what would you recommend? The biggest change that you can make is um, removing yourself from, from your bedside table. That's the easiest change you can make for the biggest impact. And there's a few reasons. Number one, you're, you're going to sleep better, which is going to change your entire life. Number two, uh, do you guys know who Zig Ziglar is? Yes. Okay. So he's like the original Tony Robbins, like motivator. I, when I was in my early twenties, I used to save my money to go to his conferences. And, um, he used to have you picture a blank check on your ceiling and on the blank check before you go to bed and every morning when you wake up to, if I wanted to buy a house or I wanted a certain dollar amount by a certain age. And I realized I had stopped doing that about 10 years ago. And it was in one of these talks where I was like, oh, God, I really don't do that anymore. And I had done it for decades. And it was because I'd had my phone in my bed with me and I was reading about the Kardashians or something awful that happened in the world as opposed to really you know, I guess it was a form of manifesting before it became a buzzword. So if you don't have your phone next to your bedside table, it allows you space in the evening to decompress, but also think about what you want out of life. In the morning, uh, I think the stat is now 95% of people before they see the sun, before they see their partner, before they see anything, the first thing that they see when they wake up is their phone. And honestly, what happens, that comes right into bed with you and you start to react to whatever is on your phone. So that's the biggest thing you can change. But um, if you're really looking to make a lot of changes, my suggestion is for everyone to do a digital detox. Um, I don't think it's the answer. I think it's the entry point to awareness. So similar to a juice cleanse, when you take uh, or a cleanse of any sort or you've been super sick with the flu, when you haven't had food, when you take that first bite, you are so aware of the size of how it feels in your stomach, the taste, the savoriness, the saltiness in a way that you can't be if you had just been eating every day. So you have to remove the stimulation to see what the triggers are and why you're touching it. I'm an introvert at heart. And so when I meet new people, the first thing I do is I go to touch my back pocket Thankfully, I no longer carry my phone there, but it's to to ex- find an excuse to remove myself from the anxiety of small talk conversation, which is gross. Like, how terrible is that that I do that? But I, I wasn't until I went without my phone that I realized that trigger. So a digital detox can be 24 hours. Obviously, the longer, the better. And then you start to see why. And once you know why, then you can start to make those changes. And I want to ask before we close about We've done the concrete tips, but let's do the vision. If Jess Davis gets her way, what does the world look like in 20 years? Oh, that's a great question. And no one's ever asked me that before. Um, I want, so people will say you're kind of like the no smoking campaign, to which I say I'm not. I'm actually like Ralph Nader, the crusader, who felt that cars were unsafe without laws and regulation so um it takes a while for us to realize that these things greatly impact everything in our society and we are handing them out like candy to anyone without understanding those effects we're just starting to learn them so i would love for there to be those proverbial speed bumps stop signs age restrictions drunk driving that can translate any different way to Kids should not be allowed to have access to these until their frontal lobe is developed. They should not be allowed in school. Uh, You should not be able to spread misinformation or hate speech on these certain platforms. There uh, are suggestions for use for a new form of etiquette in our modern society. Um, And that way, 
we are not being automated or living life based on what the app developers or tech companies are creating, but we're able to truly self-regulate and live well alongside it. And it adds value to our life versus making the next generation the most anxiety-ridden generation in our history. I will add that uh, Nader will be proud of you because he does not own a computer and only types his emails on an Underwood typewriter. Stop it. Yes. Really? Yes. Oh my God, <laughs> I didn't know that. And yeah, and he types all his books on an Underwood typewriter so he won't be distracted. Oh my God, that's so, amazing. Let's get him on. Yeah. <laughs> Can I come? <laughs> that's Jess Davis. Jess Davis, thank founder you for of the coming Folk on. Rebellion. Thank, thank you. Thanks for coming thank by the Getaway so Tiny much. House. Thanks for listening, everybody. Visit getaway.house for slash, more, slash podcast yes. for more info on our guests and extras from the episode you just heard, including pictures. Uh, you can also write into us to talk about your responses to the guests or your own stories of needing counterbalance in your life at podcast at getaway.house. Or you can leave us a voicemail. Talk about analog here. Leave us a voicemail at 323-616-2929. That's 323-616-2929. Don't you think we should give out the mailing address? Yes. Getaway, 147 Prince Street, Brooklyn, New York, 11201. You could write us a letter. Send us a card. Or just, you know, drop by. (laughs) Cause problems in our workday. Special thanks to Johnny Fung for the vibey music. Thank you, Johnny. And audio engineering. Our producer is Alexandra DePalma. Thank you, Alex. We're grateful for the entire Getaway team and our guest, Jess davis if you want to look her up folk rebellion as a thank you to listeners we'd love to invite you to try getaway and experience some balance in your life tiny cabins in the woods rent them out by the night cell phone lockbox it's great enjoy 25 dollars off we're given 25 dollars off all bookings on our site with the code podcast 25 code is in all caps p-o-d-c-a-s-t 25 i don't think it matters if it's in caps or not <laughs> i don't know we'll how report computers back. work